welcome to Unnumbered. I'm your host, Dr. Amy, lifestyle medical doctor, speaker, and coach. I'm here to remind you that you are unique, rare, and one of a kind, and so is your health. I'll be diving into all the nitty gritty of holistic personalized medicine with world-class experts where we unpack the science and give you tools and strategies that can alter your life forever. Plus, this is no ordinary podcast. There's not only the physical, but the mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects that underpin all of us will be laid out there. Nothing is out of bounds here. So be prepared to be educated, inspired, and empowered to live a healthy and purposeful life. Okay, so today I am super excited that a beautiful guest that I actually met when I was in Denver at the MAPS conference is Colette Condorcita. Is that, is that how you say your surname? Please correct me. Uh, Condorcita means little condor, but uh, yeah, Condorcita. Oh, is- <laughs> I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a beautiful human being who, as soon as we started chatting, um, we just carried on for quite a, quite a long time just while we were looking at the study posters. But she's a transformative healing expert who operates Condor Medicine, guiding individuals and groups through consciousness, exploration, using an integrative self-directive neuroplasticity approach. And she's a very passionate advocate for making psychedelics legal in Philadelphia as a founder of the Decriminalized Nature Philadelphia. She's deeply involved in the Tandavar Retreat Center, an acclaimed hub for psychedelic journeys and contributes to Five, a platform focused on psychedelic safety and education. I am super happy to have you here today and I can't wait for you to impart all your knowledge um, as we're here in Australia trying to transverse this landscape, which is very gray, very new, very innovative, and really we're kind of following uh, on from what we learn across other parts of the world like America. So welcome, Colette. I'm so happy to be here with you, Amy. It's so great to see you again. <laughs> I know, I know. It's awesome. So tell me, tell me, because as I said, it's it's a difficult landscape. Um, tell me what it's like where you are in the state of Philadelphia. Um, what's the current standings? What's legal? What's, what's illegal and what's legal? Hmm. So uh, great question. So um, so my home base here is in Philadelphia in the United States. I grew up here. I've always had a foot not here. So, um, you know, my my experience studying and working with different entheogenic cultures entheogens are uh, are what we can call psychedelic plants and fungi found pervasively throughout nature. I mean, these are really substances found everywhere. But, um, you know, that's kind of part of the campaign here is that, you know, we're really reconnecting individuals with the awareness that these substances are everywhere, especially as they're going very mainstream. However, the legal landscape here in the United States regarding psychedelic compounds, especially on a federal level, which most states have adopted the federal legislation that in 1972 during the Nixon administration, um, I mean, it's a phenomenal list, Dr. Amy. I mean, it's so many different, uh, you know, compounds on it, um, synthetic as well as uh, naturally found in nature. But um, but yeah, basically all psychedelic compounds that you could possibly think of are more or less on that list and were criminalized under the Nixon administration, as many people do know and believe was in response to, you know, what, what happened here counterculturally in the 60s. So right now what's happening is that there is a amazing national movement that's been going on that in over 22 different cities as well as states, they have gone through this process of decriminalization. So um, there is certain different steps to think about. There's decriminalization, 
there's legalization, there's medicalization, and they kind of all fundamentally work differently. Uh, but decriminalization is really important to us here in Philly. Um, we are the largest, most chronically impoverished city in the United States, and we're also majority black. Um, we are considered to be the epicenter of the opioid and trank crisis. Trank is a, a street drug known as trank, but it's an animal tranquilizer known as xylazine that's found in 90% of the street supply of drugs right now. And um, it causes absolutely horrific gaping wounds, conditions. We have an entire, you know, we have thousands of people living on the street, unhoused, addicted right now in the city. So we have a lot of really deep existential problems here in Philly, um, let alone our violent crime problem here. Um, so, you know, this is part of equitability in the psychedelic movements. You know, just before the call, you know, before our podcast started, we were talking about um, how expensive it is in Australia, you know, what you guys are navigating there as, as this un unfolds. Um, you know, when we're talking about tens of thousands of dollars for treatment, potentially, that inherently removes the ability for, for most people, especially people of color, to have access to these treatments. So this is incredibly important to us here. I love that you, yeah, made the uh, comparison with like alcohol and smoking because that, you know, there'll probably be people listening to this and, and psychedelics and plant medicine may be really quite far-fetched for them um, and something that they've never considered and something that, as I said, it's it's currently not available and it's not legal in Australia, right? So yeah. they're going to be like, why are you talking about these things? But quite rightly, you know, we, yes, psychedelics cause more of a mind-altering state, which, which it doesn't necessarily happen through smoking tobacco and necessarily alcohol in a good way. Um, but we do know that smoking and, and alcohol and sugar and a, a bad Western diet has, and opioids, um, have significant uh, mortality and morbidity effects on our lives. And as you, as you mentioned, there's a lot of incredibly great safety profiles for psychedelic medicines. And so, yeah, it's to question, you know, what, how did we even get here? <laughs> like, how did we even get to a point where something that grew in the ground, not in a, not in a chemical lab, from Mother Nature got um, got so restricted. It's it's quite infuriating, really, isn't it? So um, it's, so yeah, thank you for pointing that out. <laughs> yes, it's very infuriating. I mean, and again, it's, it's, it's like that same process of like, how are we integrating these things? This is this is a weird moment, um, and and it'll balance itself out at some point, I think. But it's it's really yes. focusing on, and these tools are not for everyone. I'm by no means I'm saying that. Yeah. And you know, whenever I'm working with folks who come to me. Um, you know, who are looking to do psychedelic work, uh, it's really like going through the process with them of, um, you know, risk reward benefit, uh, personal family history, their history, like going through a lot of the harm reduction stuff. And when I first started working with psychedelics, I didn't do any of that. Like I didn't. And I think that those of us who've been in the movement for a long time, we've seen the errors of different things of even our own experiences. Those of us who, you know, consult with companies, you know, I'm involved in a couple different companies in the, in the psychedelic space who are part of sharing you know how to be able to create better structures with things so it's it's all part of that and it's 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 all needed yeah yeah amazing and um and you're part of the uh Tandava retreat center which is kind of known for its 5meo dmt can you just give again this is illegal currently in australia but can you just give a bit of a background and uh, understanding of what 5-MEO is and uh, what it might, uh, what the experience is like and, you know, what's its kind of transform, transform, transformative potential and benefits that some people have in legal countries and hopefully one day in, in Australia. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm part of a group of uh, under Kaivalya. The Kaivalya Collective is, is the, the parent company, the parent organization 
my dear friends, Joelle, Victoria, uh, are, are really the, the keepers of the organization, but we have a physical retreat center in Tepoztlan, which is about an hour and a half south of Mexico City. We also have an online training platform that is focused on safety and harm reduction for individuals who are interested in using 5-MeO-DMT, um, as well as a nine-month facilitator training program that I'm a part of that is just about to get relaunched. So those of you all who are interested, it's nine months uh, online training, and then there is a practicum in Mexico, and it's a really amazing collective of individuals multidisciplinary, uh, really giving best practices and perspectives on how to utilize 5-MeO in, in really all the things I'm speaking to, focus on harm reduction, safety, et cetera. Um, 5-MeO-DMT is considered to be the most powerful psychedelic uh, alk uh, compound in nature. It's found endogenous in nature in a variety of plants, as well as animals, and the highest concentration of um, what's known as the bufal various toad. It's a toad species that's endemic to Northern Mexico, Southwest United States. Um, many individuals have come to start working with Bufo, and it's literally the venomous extract of the toad. Um, there's a lot of safety challenges in working with Bufo. Uh, a variety of us in the in the space have, you know, stopped working with that and have focused on working with synthetic 5-MeO because it's possible. It's way easier to um, to dose. It doesn't have any of the potential cardiotoxic properties of Bufo, as well as there's not this sort of very uh, ecologically complicated process of taking the toads and collecting them, um, which can basically pa pass on this pathogenic fungi that's decimating amphibians around the world right now. And just kind of the, the impacts of, of humankind and climate change, these things that we see on nature. So 5-MeO-DMT um, is a very interesting compound. Uh, it sounds similar to DMT. And for those of you who you know have had experience with DMT or, or um, you know, related, you know, we had, you know, understand what it is, but 5-MeO-DMT um, and DMT work really um, differently. Uh, you know, there's, there's a few chains on chemical structure difference, but it, it, it functionally creates a really big difference in the experience. 5-MeO-DMT um, is fundamentally an ego dissolving medicine. All of the entheogens and psychedelics out there have this capacity to completely take the ego offline. However, 5-MeO, that is really the essence of it. And many individuals kind of use it for this intention and purpose of having the, the minds completely go offline. Um, what can happen with a 5-MeO experience is really varied. Um, however, instead of having more of sort of like a visual type of uh, immersive, what we could call vis vision or hallucination, however you'd like to, to frame it, 5-MeO is more like a knowing or a feeling that you relax into when you have the experience. And so ideally speaking, you know, from my perspective, there's, of course, different people, how they like to facilitate and use this tool. Because it's such a big tool, anyone who's listening and interested in using this, please do not use it by yourself. Um, please use it with someone else because the mind can go offline and um, you can also become very dynamic physically on it. Uh, so this is definitely a psychedelic that you want to have a lot of caution with, as well as doing other care with, please do not take any type of SSRIs. SNRIs with this use. Um, there's, of course, other mental health precautions that individuals need to take with this. It's the biggest tool out there. Um, and when people are really in that fully immersive, relaxed 5-MeO experience, lots can happen there. Um, and But really, it can feel like oneness with God, oneness with nature and creation, where there is no self there. It's just that feeling of oneness um, with all. And of course, there's lots of in-between in that. There's a, there's a lot of catharsis that can come through with this tool that has both conscious and unconscious. Um, for people who, you know, might have what's, you know, a whiteout experience, let's say, and might not even necessarily remember being in the medicine. A lot of different things can come through in that process when their mind is coming back online and in the integration process. 
Um, so it's a really great tool, I think, especially for addiction breaking. Um, it has a very powerful neuroplastic properties to it. But I think it's also something that's incredibly great for individuals who are, um, you know, ready to, to have that kind of experience, that big experience. Um, and are of course doing the really, the really good proper preparation and preparing for that landing pad, preparing for that integration on the other side. But um, it's, it's a really great multidimensional tool that, uh, that is, is useful for a variety of different things. But I think especially for, for those aspects, um, as I mentioned. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. And do you find that in Mexico where, where it's the toads are, are naturally, do you find that there are shamanic uh, maestros that just work with buffo? Yeah. So, you know, buffo, um, so there is a culture there. Well, there's two cultures called the Seri and the Yaki. The Seri and Yaki are interrelated indigenous communities, um, but they come from the Sonoran desert. And what's interesting about their culture, Dr. Amy, is that they've always had the practice and the connection and the, and the the cosmovision that's been related to this toad. However, the actual cultural use of extracting it and smoking the secretions is something that's really relatively recent. Um, uh, an indigenous elder that I work with who um, is based in Mexico, Don Alberto Garlecki, who is an amazing human. He's been initiated by like three different cultures in Ayahuasquero, but um, has been given permission by uh, several other cultures, also a transpersonal psychologist. He shared with me that, you know, his perception of Bufo, um, which is what they call Otak, um, it's uh, the more traditional name that they utilize, that it was just lost. The information was lost during the during colonialism and how to actually utilize it for that particular aspect. And this is kind of the, you know, my personal hypothesis. And when we're, when we're talking about shamanism and individuals who are able to engage in transpersonal states of consciousness with or without actually consuming anything psychedelic, there is a certain frequency that help people, especially First Nation people, and you being from Australia, I'm sure, you know, might understand this in, in, in understanding, you know, how Aboriginal communities work there, et cetera, with the dreaming, that there is, there is like these different ways people connect with it. So yes, there are individuals who just work with Bufo or Otak um, and are connected to those communities there. And they've created sort of their own uh, connection of their own um, traditional ways and how they connect and relate to that species as part of their own cultural um, architecture, as well as sort of the newness of um, uting, utilizing this particular medicine and more of like neo-shamanic rituals. Wow. I need to go to Mexico. <laughs> Mexico is amazing. Um, yeah, I know. I have been, but I haven't been for that reason. Um, yeah, incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I just, I love learning the science, but I just also just love learning the culture and um yeah like you said it, the architecture around it and the spirits of the of the plants and the animals that that are being utilized so when you said that it, it's relatively new um that they've started to extract the crystals what were they what were they doing before do we know well i mean as i spoke to five mio is found in a variety of different plants um for example it's found in yahe which is the form of ayahuasca um, that, that comes from Colombia. It's found in different shamanic snuffs. Um, so, you know, the cultures in Mexico, there's so many different cultures there, Amy. You know, it's like, um, and some of them are plant medic medicine cultures like the Huirarica, for example, who are the carriers of the hickory or the peyote. Um, there's Tepetzcoite, if I'm even saying that right. It's, a, it's another um, DMT source that's like a monamine oxidase inhibitor, DMT combination medicine that has ancestral use there. Um, so there's a lot of different psychoactive plants when you start getting into 
really like Southwest United States into the Amazon basin. Um, the Amazon basin is the highest concentration of them. Uh, but with Bufo specifically with Oltak, there was a man whose pseudonym was Albert Most, who was a curious individual that um, I believe was it the 60s or 70s, forgive me y'all if I'm getting the wrong dates, but he started, you know, kind of putting things together with, okay, wait, Bufo alvarius, the name, the species, okay, wait, it has this thing. And just through his own psychonautic explorations, he went out there and he caught some toads and smoked them, I smoked their venom. And he came out with this like zine, Amy, that became, um, and it's called the, you know, the Sonoran Desert Toad, you know, uh, and it, it, and it, this became pervasive. And this individual started finding this zine um, and it gave specific instructions, how to find these toads, where do they live? And so, okay, you got to go to a river. They come out this certain period. They only come out of the ground three months a year. This is how you find them. This is how you do. So this is like, you know, some white guy from the United States um, put this together and then it reintegrated into um, this massive cultural phenomenon that we're seeing right now with 5-MeO use um, and Bufo alvarius use. Um, but again, this is like the collective unconscious with these things that we're seeing emerge again uh, and, and how, you know, the tools have maybe been there and, and maybe people are just finding out about them for the first time, and et cetera. So it's very interesting. <laughs> It's so interesting because, you know, I, I'm I'm super interested in, in shamanic uh, work and, and the history of medicine. And um, and you kind of alluded to the fact that there is there is knowledge and there's wisdom and there's sometimes knowledge are read through books and research and science, which is very uh, straightforward thinking, um, but more lateral thinking and more intuitive ways, um, you know, before there was the written word and languages and, and books you know, as you as you kind of just alluded to, there was uh, an intuitive way of of speaking to to plants and to animals, and 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 you know, <laughs> essentially all the things that we know now came from people that were lateral thinking, and and they weren't just following, I don't right. know, following the herd, and I and I think that um, currently in in our in our culture, we're often. I suppose we're often thrown arrows at for trying to think laterally. And, you know, as a doctor myself, you know, I, I love the science and I follow the science, but there's always an innate thing in me that, that feels very intuitive. And, and I think it's very hard to uh, subtract that from yourself when you, when you have a feeling or a knowing. And um, I think it's important to find respect in it. And if you, if you don't yet have uncovered that for yourself, then I think that's something that, I, I think psychedelics often brings out in people when I've seen people in psychedelic cer cer ceremonies and I've spoken to them afterwards in integration. I find that people have this understanding or knowing about who they are or what they need to do or things that they've had an insight of, of them, themselves and, and their shadow and all these different aspects that no oh. other no other medical uh, treatment that I know of gives and I think that's really powerful and I think that we need to open up these conversations just more frequently without coming from a space of holy shit like this is going to uh, open up a world of people where people just want to run around and do underground uh, ceremonies that's not what I'm condoning but what I'm super interested in is how can people explore safely and how can people how can we bridge the gap between science and spirituality and then look at what that looks like in a medical model and also from an indigenous perspective and I know that you're very deep and and, and work with the indigenous um Please tell me um, a bit more about how you see 
the indigenous working with this space and you know it was super interesting in denver uh seeing indigenous people there um and i think did we have a conversation about how you know it was so expensive for the ticket right was did we have this conversation so Probably. it was so expensive for the ticket. And I think it was, I think this conversation was with you. And I believe you were saying to me, you know, how are we really representing indigenous cultures when right. the ticket is so expensive? And really we're talking about something that originated and they know the most, have the most wisdom and knowledge on it. So yeah, please share with me what um what your insights are about how we might be able to bridge indigenous um people into the medical medicalization of psychedelics yeah uh, this is something that i think is really important because um and i was sharing about this with a with a psychologist yesterday who i'm working with about this concept of um how the mind works on psychedelics for individuals that are let's say neurotypical and uh and let's just say that it's opening up what we consider the psychedelic framework of consciousness and relationship to our experience of life and nature and I think that there's something fundamentally underneath the people just taking psychedelics to receive information from that, but that there's individuals that have more easily accessible connections to transpersonal states of consciousness with and without using psychedelics, let's say. And I think part of the psychedelic movement is inherently needs to better incorporate uh, folks who are neurodivergent into the frameworks of um, how we're kind of dismantling a bit the pathology paradigm of mental health. It's not to say that it's not important to understand different neurocognitive phenomenon and people's experiences, et cetera. But that's, I think that this sort of indigenous aspect of, of the different cosmovisions that come through in every indigenous, remaining indigenous culture left on the planet is, um, is really uh, a completely different framework than a neurotypical, especially global North framework of uh, conceptual reality. And that, you know, this has to be part of that framework of the integration. And this is something that is incredibly weird for, I think, a lot of people, you know, like indigenous people who work with psychotropic plants or fungi or animals um, are suddenly valued by the global north. This is something that hasn't happened in the entire colonial exchange. You know, these people are have been undergoing genocide for hundreds and hundreds of years because of their cultural differences and the fact that they sit on a lot of beautiful resources that um, the global north has wanted to exploit or colonialism has wanted to exploit. I think it's incredibly compl complicated, Dr. Amy, especially when we get into, you know, most of my time, uh, you know, I've, I've been out in the world quite a bit um, and working with different indigenous communities in Southeast Asia, Africa, et cetera, but we're talking like going on 15 years, um, studying, working, collaborating with indigenous people in the Amazon basin. And um, for those of you who don't know, you know, the Amazon basin is um, really the most important ecological resource for the planet. And it's predominantly, you know, occupied by ayahuasca cultures that have incredibly complex botanical relationships with nature and in their community, transpersonal relationships with nature, animist relationships with nature. And so um, these people are on the front line of protecting that nature in the face of uh, the petroleum industry, the illegal logging, all these things. So it's it's something that I underneath, you know, the psychedelic revolution that's happening. For me personally, I see it as nature trying to kind of wake up the the global north into our fundamental impact on the global south and on nature itself. And so I think that kind of underneath that individual healing, my personal healing, my personal story, 
Um, there's kind of this aspect of how we can use psychedelics as a catalyst to shift community, support community, support healing with nature. And I think that that's a narrative that needs to be better integrated, especially in the capitalist lens of, of psychedelic use and how psychedelic culture is uh, infiltrating the global north right now. Oh my goodness, just so much juicy information here, Killer. <laughs> um <laughs> time and I and I just wish we could just keep talking forever. Um, but I absolutely love the work that you're doing and um I'm sure we're gonna be chatting a lot more. Um it can you give me some last words for people um from a safety perspective? As as we've mentioned, it's illegal here in Australia. Um, but from a safety perspective, if people are starting to wonder about psychedelics, what things that they should really be uh, cautious about and aware of and think about the contraindications, can you share that before we go? Um, yeah, so I, there's a lot of great resources out there for people. Uh, I would definitely look to um, Tandava Retreats and our FIVE platform um, for on, on vital education, safety and harm reduction for 5-MeO-DMT. There's lots of great information there on how to really take the right steps forward, as well as to find um, individuals who are facilitators in our network that uh, are, are, you know, vetted by by the team and 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 us. Um, I think that it's really important for people to start slow, to do their research, to talk to individuals, to understand too, like what is their what is their kind of you know bandwidth at life to open up Pandora's, Pandora's box. Because every time we work with psychedelics, there is the, the capacity for stepping into the unknown, whether it's your first time or whether it's your thousandth time. It's always the first time, which is something I like to say to people. So I think it's really, you know, getting your ducks in order, understanding the tool in particular that you're wanting to work with, because each psychedelic works differently and has its own um, its own way, its own harm reduction that needs to be considered. Uh, for sure, if individuals have any underlying health issues, heart issues, breathing, um, are on other meds, if they have personal uh, history or family history of psychosis, of what we could call borderline personality disorder, these other things that might be destabilizing for them fundamentally to take psychedelics. So really, my, my, if I were to summarize, people, of course, can find me. I'm a great resource, but um, please do your homework. Go slow. Um, have a friend there that you love and trust. And, uh, and for facilitators, if you're looking for a facilitator, please relentlessly ask them all the questions. How long have they been doing it? Who have they studied under? What's their personal experiences? Do they have other people that you can talk to who've experienced working with them? What are their safety and harm reduction protocols? Um, so there's, there's really just, don't feel like you're asking too many questions. Don't feel like you're being too shy or timid. It's all okay. And I think that it's better to, um, to really be prepared and to know what you're getting into as opposed to just, you know, not doing that. So yeah, just have fun. But also, you know, do your homework and uh, and then do your due diligence would be my summary. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, Colette. You are so articulate. I love your vocabulary and the way that you speak. I um, just wish I could Thank put you your way. brain into my book. Um, and I'm sure we'll keep nice chatting. And yes. And, um, and thank you so much. I think it's been super insightful and... Um, if anyone has any questions um, they'll be able to um, just uh, type below in Instagram and YouTube and then we can always um, run back to them and uh, give them some answers but thank you so so much I will not take up any more time because I know you're super